Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good day, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston, and we are The Thought Hackers. With us today is a fellow by the name of Scott Killaby. Scott is an international speaker on the subject of non-dual wisdom and its application to addiction, trauma, depression, and anxiety. He is the author of six books on the subject. He is a California certified addiction treatment counselor and interventionist. He is the founder of the Killaby Center for Recovery in Rancho Mirage, California, the first addiction treatment center in the U.S. to focus primarily on mindfulness. Scott is also the co-owner of the Natural Rest House, a detox and residential center in La Quinta, California. In addition, Scott is the founder of the Living Inquiries Community, a mindfulness facilitator training program with approximately 100 certified mindfulness facilitators who work in over 12 different countries. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Scott. Well, thanks, Nathan and Hamish. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to be with you. You know, I and you may wonder how I wound up reaching out to you in the first place, and it came to be that I've been looking for guests for a show, and one of the people I know is a fellow by the name of Rick Archer with his uh, site Buddha at the Gas Pump, and so I reached out to him, and he sent me a whole bunch of names, of which yours is one, and when I saw what you did, I thought, ah, this is someone who would be a good fit for us. And so I, I wanted to reach out to you and just say, hmm, okay, would you like to be on the show? Yeah. And here you are. Well, that's great. I think we're, 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 uh, we're of the same thread there because I know I'm a good friend with Rick. Um, I love the stuff that he's doing. And I really, from what I've seen, what you guys are doing, it's wonderful. So it would be interesting to have this conversation. Yeah. You know, there's so many directions we can go. I mean, maybe we should talk about it a little bit. Uh, because we did touch on it just before we started to record, to do with people who have had a, a spiritual awakening, and then after that discover that they're not done, that the spiritual awakening, all the wonder of that, all the joy, all of that, all the peace, eventually fades, and in a number of cases, if they've had trauma, that comes back. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think the way that you're using the word spirit, because the word spiritual awakening has different meanings. I think the way that we're using it here is sort of a non-dual awakening where you, where the sense of the ego um, is seen through or, or dissolves and someone is abiding kind of in present awareness. That's one way to define, I think, is the way you're talking about it. And so I started out as a spiritual teacher uh, after having my own awakening in that way and thought, just like so many others, that that was the end of the that, you know, I'm done, you know, because there was a profound sense of peace and freedom in that, you know, likes of which I'd never experienced. And it was uh, quite a surprise when I found a number of um, old traumas uh, started coming up for me. And and then also, because I've, you know, I've worked with, I've counted like 10,000 sessions I've done through the years. And as I did those sessions, I looked and found that what most people are dealing with really, either before awakening or after awakening, is unresolved trauma. And that if the trauma could be resolved, they uh, a lot of the the uh, 
the, well, a lot of the spiritual seeking would start to die down because a lot of people are trying to escape the unresolved trauma. But, but then a lot of people would just be more at peace after the awakening too. You know, and I think a lot of people in the spiritual path don't are not quite on board with the idea that unresolved trauma can can be there after an awakening. So it's great that you're bringing light to it. It's one of the things that I'm constantly trying to bring to light here at the Killaby Center, and then also when I do videos and talks like this. Yeah, it's an interesting point because actually part of the reason or part of the way that I have a sense of this is to do with uh, working, studying with uh, Adyashanti. And he was talking about this and he said on the spiritual journey, you will um, encounter hang-ups sooner or later. That's his word, hang-ups. And at that point, your spiritual journey stops dead and you can't move any further forward. And what you need to do is seek out a qualified counselor or psychotherapist or psychologist to work through these things. And he said, and once you do, when you're done that, then the spiritual journey can begin again. Right, absolutely. And there's a number, of, what's, so, what's changing about the whole non-dual, non-duality spiritual scene is that I think we're becoming more informed about this. You know, it's, we, 10 years ago, if you would have talked about people post-awakening doing trauma work, it, in some circles it would have been considered just ridiculous or uh, you know but now you're starting to see that there's something about the internet is where we're sharing information among disciplines you're starting to see that it's not so as clear as it used to be around this issue and so you're starting to see some teachers including Adya I've always been a fan of Adya because he does talk about the post-awakening pitfalls and traps and traumas and, and there's other teachers out there too that are starting to talk about it and I think we're, we're, we're gaining this integrated approach about uh, human well-being that that is one part of it is the awakening sort of beyond ego that's one part of it but um but but all these other parts of ourselves have to be dealt with and healed and so thankfully um since it's right up my alley i'm thankful that the conversation is starting to happen much more for because there's so many other people out there it's not just me and you i mean there's a lot of people who are dealing with this yeah, that's true. I mean, um, I was having conversations with uh, Stephen Bodian, who was my teacher and part of the Adyashanti lineage. And one of the things that he was, was talking about is that when people have an awakening, uh, if they have trauma, it ten in many cases it tends to make the, the trauma actually worse because it's just like a byproduct of the awakening. And one of the things that I also remember Adya saying about it is that when you have an awakening, there's it's like all the stuff that you've repressed. It's like you're it's like in a well or something, and there's a veil over the top of that. And said when awakening happens, that veil is destroyed, and all of that stuff from your past is going to come up in your life, and you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, so well said. I mean, it's I often use the metaphor of you. It's like picking up a brick. Like when you're in the sort of the 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 ego state. We have all these different ways of hiding things from ourselves, you know, and um, avoidance strategies and coping mechanisms that keep the stuff repressed, as you say, in, in the unconscious or the subconscious, however you want to say it. And then, like, you pick up, you, you start to recognize present awareness, you know, and, and it's like a, a huge light that's being shined on everything. So everything that's under a brick starts to crawl up. And, um, you know, it's, it's almost like, yeah, it can hurt, it can hurt a hell of a lot. Um, after the awakening because especially since we're a little bit more acutely aware of sensation or maybe a lot more acutely aware of sensations and emotions and thoughts i mean one thing that adya says is that this, this you know when you see through the sense of separation that's in the ego 
and you start to see through it in your experience um, that when it comes up afterwards, that sense of separation, it's more painful because you've seen you've seen through it. And um, there's something about that post-awakening state that can really send people into tailspin when that stuff starts to come up. Yeah, exactly. It was one of the things that Adya was talking about. I got it. I lost it. And and certainly that that came up in my own life uh, more more often than not. And and when these things did come back, you're right. It was a lot more painful because of that initial experience of freedom, and the the tremendous um, well well just freedom, all of that. And then to have all this stuff come back. I remember when it happened. I thought. What is this? I thought th- thought I was done with this, right. and here it is coming back. And what I discovered is that things, in many cases, were much worse than I had imagined. And there were all sorts of things that I had to go through. And I also remember Adya saying that the process, this uh, unfoldment. For those of you who are not familiar with some of this, we're talking about the journey after awakening, after spiritual awakening. What Scott and I are talking about is our experiences with it. Uh, we've both experienced this, and it it changes things tremendously in your life. It'll change the way you move, the the way you think, the way you feel, what you see, the way you speak. Everything changes, and it can be that that part of it alone can be pretty disorienting. But if there's trauma underneath, and as Stephen Bodie and myself were talking about it. Um, there was this one woman who had experienced a profound awakening. I think her name was Susan Siegel. And she, towards the end of her life, was dealing with stuff to do with um, sexual trauma, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and, and you know, it also makes me think, here at the Killaby Center, I think the reason that we've I've become sort of so trauma-informed is we're, we're dealing with addiction here. And so if we don't resol- if we don't help people to get on the path of resolving the trauma... Um, it's not that they're just going to experience pain, but they could experience relapse, um, which could be even deadly in certain situations. You know, not always. Not every drug kills you um, or alcohol. I mean, certain addictions don't kill you right away. But um, I just learned so much about um, the coping mechanisms that we use. And and, and here's another thing. Even people who've and, and this has been in my own experience. So when I had my awakening experience, you know, for the most part, the drugs and alcohol have been put to rest somewhere in the in that awakening experience the the cravings just weren't there but all these process and secondary addictions started to come up and it was like holy moly um and then as i and i thought well maybe i just have an addictive personality right um but when i looked at it, it was definitely unresolved trauma and until that was deeply looked at and and the healing began i don't think i had a shot of even getting over the process addictions so this is another category of people that i want to talk to out there that are listening those who um have been coping with their trauma with addictions and i don't mean just drugs and alcohol there's a lot of people in the recovery programs and there's 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 probably millions of people i don't know i know hundreds of thousands of people out there that have been clean and sober for five years eight years, 10 years, 20, 30, who, um, yeah, they're clean off the drugs and alcohol, but they can't stop watching the porn incessantly. They can't stop eating donuts. They can't, they can't stop being on the internet. And, and you know, it's like we, we learn to live this way. We learn to live that sort of process addictions are part of recovery. But my message has always been, look, if you can deal with the underlying stuff, 
then you're going to go less and less towards these things. But you but you really have to deal with that stuff. So I just wanted to to um because you brought you brought in the sexual thing and and it, yeah, there's certainly sexual trauma. Um, but the sexual addiction I see in recovery because of unresolved trauma, which is sometimes sexually related to sexual trauma, but it's also can be related to any kind of trauma that happens. Somehow that gets wound up into um, sex addiction for people and other process addictions, obviously. Yeah, that's true. Um, the, the thing that I'd seen about addictions in my own life prior to awakening and what happened afterwards is, as you said, it doesn't seem to matter where the what the source is, that things can be wound up or twisted in our minds, and we can wind up with an addiction in an area not related to something where we originally had the the problem. But So, you know, just talking about the trauma, and we have been looking at it in a number of different ways in this this conversation, looking at it, like when somebody first comes to you, to your center, how do you assess them? What do you do? So we have standardized assessments um, for trauma and PTSD. We're constantly revising those and looking for the best ones, but we assess them well, we think, in the beginning, where we get a, not only a sense of like the sort of the scaling of the PTSD symptoms like in a standardized form, but also very specific details about the pivotal events in their past. Uh, and we have a long laundry list so that they let us know the details of those events. Um, and then we check for the PTSD symptoms after that. And then we do regular assessments. So we start to work with them then using this somatic-based uh, trauma approach, which is kind of awareness and mindfulness-based. And then we sort of watch their progress. And we keep a running tab of which traumas we've we've really kind of brought into the light to heal and which ones are out there. And we're constantly looking at their behavior and how they're getting triggered, uh, constantly getting triggered still by maybe mother or dad or roommates or friends and then we then look at what okay so this trigger that's happening right now how is this associated from a previous trauma and is this on your list and are we working with this trauma so it's a comprehensive approach where we're our approach is called trauma first even though it's an addiction treatment center the very first thing that we start with is just getting a sense of what all the traumas are and then working them through a treatment plan really so that we're you know is not moving away from like the molestation molestation at age 10 until the client um, feels fairly resolved in that area. So we have this process of we'll, we'll, we'll gently re-trigger the person into the memories in a very gentle and humane way, not in a way that re-traumatizes. Um, and then so we're checking to see the emotional charge around certain memories and stuff. And then when we feel like something is resolved, we move to the, to the next big trauma. So we kind of just go down the list. It's a very organic and dynamic process, you know, because that's how trauma is. It's so highly subjective and and th- things can pop out in the middle of treatment and the person the client themselves didn't even know that that, that trauma was there um, and so we have to constantly adjust the plan as we go and yeah that that's how that, we work yeah that makes perfect yeah. sense Hamish do you want to weigh oh. on this a bit <laughs> um what you guys have been talking about like uh, as you know Nathan I haven't been sort of involved in that um, spiritual awakening stuff and I've asked a lot of questions along the way about it and what you two have been discussing earlier I've just been um, it's really been a lot of great information for me and the way that you two are talking I'm sort of zoning down a little bit too it's your, both your voices are very mellowing um, it's, really, it's really nice um, but one thing I wanted to ask with with addiction do you find 
people uh, coming to see you, Scott, that there's also an addiction to the story that they've created and the victim mentality, the victim thinking that they've got going on as well, that they're actually addicted to that space? Oh, yeah, brilliant. I mean, we At the Killaby Centre, we call them deficiency stories, and okay. it's not like... You know, it's just what we call them, and and they're versions of I'm um, I'm not good enough. I'm a victim. I'm weak. I'm powerless. I'm unsafe. Um, anything that represents deficiency, and so yeah, so absolutely. And when it's tied to tra- so often, we find that deficiency story is tied to a trauma. Mm. And as we're talking about trauma, I th- I hope you guys can picture this with me, and I think you will because you're so well informed. I mean, trauma is so subjective that um, just a, a a mother who looks a certain way at a child can yes. create a traumatic response. It's not just molestation and bullying and physical assault. So when you start tying that in, you start to recognize a lot of these victim stories and these deficiency stories that like we call them can actually be tied to events. And then so yeah, we're it's it's a huge it's a huge topic here. Mm. Um, what you're calling victim stories, we call deficiency stories to helping people really see who they are um, and who they're not. Because the, we see these as false scripts, you know, these are this is programming we picked up, and we we show people that you know, as you become more and more present, you see your your true nature as as presence, as um, as that which is aware right now, not mm-hmm. the story. And so, yeah, we definitely want to, we work with the stories a lot. Yep. What are, what are some of yeah. the mindfulness techniques that you use? Um, so we have uh, three phases of skills. Um, they're not necessarily things that you would see in DBT. Um, they're, they're they're more closely. It's hard to if, if you're familiar with mindfulness technique the techniques. They're kind of they come from different sources, but we've sort of refined and redeveloped them through the years. So um, some are just very simple ones, like that you would like in any mindfulness uh, retreat that you would go to, which is about sort of learning how to notice thoughts uh, without judgment, without um, commentary, just noticing them coming and going um, without clinging to them. Yep. It's a it's a practice, a skill, and then learning how to be with an emotion directly from awareness rather than from the mind. So those are simple. Mind, we, we call those phase one skills. We even have a few skills that we use with, which is similar to NLP, using hands and different focus shifting mm-hmm. to try to get them, you know, because we have a sort of an inten- attentional bias towards certain ways of thinking about our experience. So we're trying to unstick them from that. Yeah. Um, and so we use hands and different focus shifting things. And then as we get into phase two, they're more somatic based skills. So this is where we're going into the repressed emotions and the body contractions where people are feeling in their body um, that tightness or that feeling of, uh, you know, it's hard to explain, but we all kind of know it, um, where you're, you feel overwhelmed in a certain place and your stomach is clenching. Mm-hmm. So the phase two skills are all skills. I mean, I, without showing you, I, I can just tell you what our, our basic premise of our work is what we call undoing the Velcro effect. So as we're guiding people to gently rest with and allow a feeling or a sensation, we're mining out the words and the pictures that are associated with that feeling. So if I'm sitting with a, a very like a lump in my chest and I'm feeling it from awareness, like uh, without as much as I can without the mind involved, what happens is that the mind is still involved on the level that I'm not aware of until I get very quiet. And then we have we have these questions that elicit the material out of the thing. So there's a whole slew of questions. 
But as we elicit the material out, then we help the person with different techniques to allow the different words and pictures to sort of come and, and then dissolve in awareness. So we're literally, it's like mining coal out of the ground. Mm. And then as, as you mine stuff out, the contraction, or the, the contraction will diminish or the repressed emotion will finally come to the surface. Like you can actually feel it without the mind mediating it then, and then it, it can release. So it's a process, though. That's phase two. And then phase three is where we get into more of the non-dual stuff, where we start to um, deconstruct the ego identity, um, especially these deficiency stories. Like we start out with just you know questioning, are you actually a person who's not good enough? And we take people systematically through the words and the pictures and the feelings and sensations to show them that none of those things are actually a person. They're, they're arisings in awareness, and if you look at them one at a time, you can see them as that way. If you don't look at them from awareness, you, they sort of fool you into thinking that you're you're this or you're that. And that's so a great it's all way of about, putting it. The fo- the falling yeah. into the thinking is, yeah, yeah. Really yeah this 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 is a common problem that we mm. encounter in this group of ours because they <clears throat> do not understand that they can actually look at their thoughts. They don't know. They they assume that the way that they think is the way that they are. They're yeah. not able to step back and use, say, an NLP approach where you would be in a movie theater looking at the thoughts on the screen. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think I, I like NLP a lot. I don't know a lot. I don't know a lot about it, but a lot of our facilitators have an NLP background, so they kind of, so you you kind of relate to that, Hamish, mm. and that it's has that similar way of um, kind of disconnecting you from some very um, negative belief systems and thoughts. Like, But yeah, those are the phase. And so yeah. basically, the, we, we work along with those. Those are all skills that people have to learn. And they're skills that we're actually dealing with them in private session uh, through a trauma-first approach. So we're using all those skills, guiding them through sessions and teaching them the skills on their own so that we really want to actually create, you know, not create, but... Um, we want to establish a whole set of skills for somebody so that they can continue working on their issues as they leave. Um, and a lot of the stuff they can do on their own because the skills are designed to do that. But then they're going to have to every now and then, many of them come back to an individual session with one of my facilitators or somewhere. So that, Because some of the trauma work, as you know, is can be so overwhelming that it's hard to examine on your own. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah. is this is so, what we were discussing at the beginning before before we came on was the the wonderful stuff with with all these modalities and and different um, ways of doing things that we're able to um, sort of bring a lot of these things together and create these blends of different processes that um, you know from trial and error and working with people that this works with that and we can you know if we put these two things together we get different results and it's such nice and that's why we're bringing this to the table is to really share this stuff with um what what's out there what people are doing what I, i'm i'm really enjoying what i'm hearing with what you you're doing scott um, yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you me, me as well it's it's just a, a really nice approach because like you said the really key point in all of this is for the patient to be able to walk away mm. from your center armed with skills and things that they can do on their own. And yeah, they're going to get stuck every now and then. They're going to need to talk to somebody. Yeah. And I've certainly wound up in that place more times than I'd like to count. Mm. And even when you have a so-called awakening, 
and all the wonderful stuff that happens after that, there's still going to be places where you need to reach out and say, hey, I need some help. I've got a problem here. Absolutely. I've found it in my own life, you know, as, as, um, when the trauma started to surface for me, you know, people, because they think of me as a teacher, they're like, well, why would he need to go work with somebody? And I can tell you that, you know, um, it's helped me tremendously to work with someone who's skilled on something that I couldn't see. And so if I'm examining something on my own, you know, there's, there's, we have all these ways of blocking this stuff unconsciously from us releasing it. You know, I, I've been amazed to see that in myself. So then if I go work with somebody who's really skilled, they can ask questions and guide me in a way that's like, wow, that's profoundly deeper than I could do on my own. And it's just one of the things about this kind of work. There's something about someone holding the space and being skillful is incredible. Oh, to real to to be able to get it done, and it's it's like you said to be able to work on your own stuff unconsciously. It's it's so hard to do. I I get you know I've got coaches around me that help me all the time. Tony Robbins gets coached every week. It's it's a yeah. process that we've got to keep going through as things come up in our lives to to right. be able to clear it out and have someone help us to do it. It's yeah. From my experience, uh, not that long ago. I was living in a different city and I was feeling really stuck. I didn't want to go back to Canada, didn't want to go further into Mexico. And Hamish asked me a question one day, just one question. And he said, if there is, let's assume that there's only one place that you can live in the world. If there's only one place that you could live in the world, where would it be? And I, after a couple of minutes, I thought about it, came up with this, a little town called Bucerias in Mexico. And shortly after that, throwing some ads onto some travel sites for house hitting, and I said, for Western Mexico, Western Canada, Western United States. And within an hour, I got a response for a place just south of Bucerias. And awesome. after a short call, accepted it. And then I got two more also for this area and nowhere else. <laughs> that's that's what, how that works. Yeah. I know. It's pretty cool. I mean, that's a, but that's the value of the one question, the really clear, incisive question. And I, didn't, I couldn't figure it out on my own. But Hamish... By asking a question, and that yeah. was the end of it. And here I am in this area. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Good. That's awesome. I was going to ask, with people listening to this, out really getting interested in in the work that you do. Obviously, your um, you've got your location in Palm Springs that you work out of. If, if people weren't able to come to you and spend the time with you do you work with people online and remotely or it's a good yeah just to explain to people what, kind of what we do is the, to, to back up a little bit we have a we have a house which is a detox and residential house so for the people who need acute care yeah um you know detoxing or just a safe environment we'll send them there um and then the killaby center itself is a, is a separate facility it's an outpatient center so this is a your general intensive outpatient uh, treatment center for different things um, and then so and then I, I work on the side with people one-on-one -on -one also so somebody if people contact me if they want to do a two or three day trauma intensive so we, we work on a lot of stuff during the intensive and I tend to follow up with them and if they need follow-up care I'll, I'll send them to a facilitator and kind of work with them that way and then if they can't come here at all the, like I said we have the living inquiries community is a group of facilitators that are trained in this work and they work really kind of all over the world and so a lot of times if people can't travel here I'll just send them to um, one of the better facilitators who's really trauma-informed and they can just do sessions yep. with them yep so for the people who have been listening to this podcast how would they get in touch with you 
Um, they can they can go to killabycenter.com and there's a contact form and a telephone number. And if they, you know, if those are for people who want the more intensive care for from two weeks to six months, you know, uh, whether it's addiction or trauma or depression, anxiety, whatever, go to killabycenter.com, K-I-L-O-B-Y center.com. And then if, if, um, if for whatever reason you can't come to our center, then we can refer you to an online facilitator um, if you need mm-hmm. to work. It's just a different. It's a different kind of level of care when you're yep. working online with a facilitator. You, you're going to get maybe a week. Uh, you're going to get a session a week or a couple of sessions a week. The Killaby Center is a more, you know, a higher level of care where we're here with you a lot, you know, and working with you on a more comprehensive basis uh, every day, kind of thing. So it just depends on what somebody needs, and they can also go to livinginquiries.com. That's that's our whole that's our page for all the facilitators of this work. They can go straight there if they just want to work online with someone with someone. Sounds awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. What well, I yeah. just wanted to um, just one quick question. Um, what would be your your biggest piece of advice for someone that is, you know, really in that in that um, that victim state that really just don't know where to go with their life um you know the fear the panic everything's just really driving them to a point of just exploding what would be your biggest advice for that person in that moment uh in the in the moment you mean it's like an emergency measure or yeah just to just to help sort of bring that state yeah. down whatever yeah we have some, a few emergency measures for example i'll just take you through one of them right now which is um so what if you if if in that state and when you feel overwhelmed, if you can just notice what it, what thought are you thinking, uh, or persistent thought, or it could be an image um, that's scaring you. Often with trauma, it's an image. Um, it's either going to be words or pictures. Just get a sense of what it is and look at it first. So let's say it's you start to notice that you're feeling overwhelmed, and then you you notice that the thought that I'm thinking is is um I'm not safe. Um, and then maybe you've got a picture that goes with that or not. But what you can do, if you can imagine the the words, I'm not safe, written in front of you, like on a blackboard or something. And then as you're looking at it, just be really quiet and watch it for a second. So just sort of look at it as if you're observing it, not to find the meaning in it or um, to understand it, but just rather to see it and sit there for a second and be with it. And then take two fingers and then move those two fingers to the middle of your eyes, really at the bridge of your nose, kind of where the mind's eye is, and just start tapping right there, just in that one spot with your two fingers and as and really noticing the sound and the sensation of that tapping. Um, do it for, I don't know, 20 taps or whatever. Really noticing the tapping. And then as soon as you're done, take a deep breath and come down into the body really gently not with your mind, but with your awareness, like you're feeling down in there, and treat whatever emotion or sensation is down there as if it were a baby. And how would you, how would you hold a baby? You would hold a baby with the utmost care and gentleness. And so, just kind of feeling into that with really gentle awareness and just allowing it to be. And then that should alone reduce the anxiety. It won't necessarily take it all away, but you can do a few rounds of that. Maybe the next time you go 
You really want to sit with the feeling for a bit, as long as it's not overwhelming. And then let's say you're still feeling anxious, then go through the process again. Just say, well, what's the thought that's really making me um, overwhelmed? And maybe it's a different thought that you didn't notice. Or really look for mental images, too. Because, you know, it could be a fear about something happening and coming in the form of image. Just put it in front of you as if you're pasting again on a blackboard or a bulletin board. Again, staring at it very gently from awareness for just a few seconds so you can really see it. And then tapping again in the same way going down the body. That's a form of like mindfulness mixed in with a tapping, which mm-hmm. is Uh, you know that i find is so easy that almost anybody can do it there's just no real skill involved with it it's so easy to learn that and it tends to work as a beginner's way of of like an emergency measure help people there's many we have many more but that's yeah i just felt my whole state and posture just really relax as you were going through that it was really nice yeah and i i asked that question because i just got this feeling going through what you've been talking about that you've just got something to share with people just to take in that moment when they so much is going on the overwhelm is there uh, we've got lots of stuff yeah <laughs> i can imagine yeah. you do and i'm so <laughs> glad you shared that because that one thing for people to take away uh, yeah is, is huge just to get and i'm so glad you mentioned the word safe in there because that's what we're finding is the most important thing for people in in, in the reality that they're in the world that they're in is to to, to first get to that safe space to feel safe and then we can move forward yeah there's so much we could say just about the world that we're living in right yeah. now I mean, especially yeah. you know that there's so many people that are trauma is really up so you know do this for yourself as an emergency measure just to kind of get quieter and, and deal with this but yeah so there's, that's a whole nother subject yeah. but well, i just yeah. feel like the trauma is rising well let's bring yeah. that subject on another time and i'll let nathan wrap this one up and uh, it's it's been fantastic scott yeah, it's been a lot of fun having you on the show and, and you know, being able to talk with another spiritual practitioner, one who's been on the journey. For me, it's always a refreshing thing. Yeah, thanks so much, guys, for having me. I appreciate this very much. My pleasure. Uh, you're most welcome. So for those of you who have been listening, my name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston. Our guest has been Scott Killaby, and we are the Thought Hackers. And we will see you next time. So thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next show. You've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios, and books that will create change in your thoughts.